Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Wonderful to see you on this Thanksgiving weekend. And as we just saw there, we are celebrating uh, the Lord's Supper today. So did everybody get one that we'll be celebrating, uh, be doing this with us? If you didn't, if you raise your hand, I think they can they can get one to you, I think over. Yeah, it looks like almost everybody's gotten one, okay. And uh, if you're watching online, now would be a good time to get up and head to the kitchen and see what you can put together so that you can celebrate this with us in just a few moments. Well, I guess... I can say one last time for 2021, happy Thanksgiving. Hope it was a great weekend, a a, a great week for you and your home. We had a a wonderful Thanksgiving. We won't have anybody at Christmas, but we had everybody in for Thanksgiving. We were, we, it was the most perfect Thanksgiving, except we were down two. Danny and Amy didn't make it, but the other 11, we had just a, a perfect time with. And Karen and I managed to make the, the best Thanksgiving dinner ever in the history of Thanksgiving dinners. My turkey was so moist, I had to warn them, when you cut your turkey, don't get drippings all over you because it's a very, very moist bird. But uh, we had a great time. Just, man, I love being around the table and sharing stories and laughing and remembering. And, you know, as I was doing that, as a lot of us were doing that on, on Thursday, of course, I was also preparing for today and thinking about the Lord's table and was just reminded a simple thought, kind of an obvious thought, how much of life is lived around a table and a meal? I mean, we have all kinds of different traditions from one family to another family, from one culture to a whole other culture, and the way we do birthdays and anniversaries, Thanksgivings and Christmases, weddings and funerals, all kinds of differences. But We also have some things in common, and one of that is it's around a table and it is around a meal. That's just where life is lived. And you know the same was true for Jesus? Man, the the creator of all things, the most holy, the, the almighty, Jesus Christ celebrated life around a table with a meal and with those he loved. And we're looking at that meal today, maybe the most well-known, maybe the most famous meal in the history of of all meals, uh, the Lord's Supper. So look with me today at Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. If you've been around here the last several weeks, you know we have been in Luke. We've already started our Christmas series, and so we've been at the other end of Luke the last three Sundays. We've been in Luke chapter 1, and we will be back there again next week as we continue in that series. Three more messages to go. But uh, today we're taking a quick pause in that series to celebrate the Lord's table. And since we are already spending Christmas with Luke, I thought we might go ahead and read his rendition of the Lord's Supper. So Luke chapter 22, let me begin in verse 14. It says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I've earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they'd eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant, new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them could it be who was going to do this? I don't think I'm saying anything unique to me. I think probably a lot of us would would like to have been there that night. I'd like to have been a part of that meal, a, a part of that company, a part of that that moment. And if I was, if you were, we would have been a part of a very, I don't know what the right word would be, busy? A a very busy meal, a very engaging meal. The Passover has a real agenda to it as you work through it. Everything on the table means something. I don't think we really have anything like this in, in our culture, but as they came to celebrate the Passover, everything on the table meant something, and you ate things in a certain order, each meaning building on the other, and there was different cups, and you drank these cups in a certain order, and they, they all meant something. And as you came to this moment and, and celebrated this, it was, a, it was a great moment. It was a profound moment in their life, in their faith, in their walk with God. You know, I wonder as they, they came to this, though, was Jesus distracted? You know, was he distant? He knows, we know what is about to happen to him. And in a matter of hours, he's going to be arrested He knows that by this time tomorrow, he will be dead. He will have been executed. I'd cut him some slack that his mind's not going to be entirely there, right? I mean, wouldn't we all understand he's got something else on his mind in that moment? And yet, that's not what the passage says. It doesn't say he was distracted or distant at all, but that he greatly desired that moment. He was looking forward to this meal. He wanted to be there. He wanted this time. I think probably because he knew that he would be bringing a new meaning to some of the elements on the table. You know, that that statement, bringing new meaning to elements on the table, that'll sail right over our head. It just will not mean to us what it's about to mean to them. As he comes to bring new meaning, these elements on the table have had their meaning for over 1,400 years. You you don't change that. And yet as he comes to the moment, he's going to give a new meaning to the bread. a, a, A new meaning to the third cup. And the meaning of this bread and this cup would be so profound and so significant that really everything else on the table would kind of just fade away. It was just going to be about this bread and this cup. Forgiveness. A covenant. The Almighty God, through His Son, binding Himself, binding us with Him, in covenant with him and for us, he did that. 
I think that's what Jesus desired about this moment. What he looked forward to in this moment. Could keep his heart and mind on this moment. Even though what was lying beyond would be so big. And as Jesus and his friends celebrated this incredible, this wonderful, this important time. There was an enemy at the table. As Jesus loved, as he shared, as they all together experienced this, there was an enemy sitting right there. As Luke tells it, it was ten verses, ten verses that describe this evening, this supper for us, and three of them are about this enemy. That's that's almost 30% of the Lord's Supper story is talking about an enemy at the table. I'm guessing if Jesus had an enemy at the table, then it's, it's very likely you and I are going to go through life with some enemies, right? I mean, enemies are a reality of life. In this world, we're going to have enemies. We're going to experience enemies. And would you believe that the body and blood... This high, holy, ceremonial, symbolic, ritualistic moment has something very profound and practical and relevant to speak to every area of life, including our enemies. Now, Jesus is talking about like a a flesh and blood, flesh and bone, a real person enemy sitting right there in front of them. That's Judas, right? Right? And we'll talk about that in just a second, but I'd like for a moment to think about some other enemies first, because as, as much damage as enemies can do in our lives, as much as we get our mind focused on them and get so much emotion engaged with them, folks, I think the reality is, if we're honest with ourselves, the enemies within us tend to reap a much greater devastation in our lives than, than the Judas than that person. What kind of enemies do we have within? Well, how about the enemy of our conscience? Did you know the body and blood of Christ speaks to your conscience, a real guilt, a false guilt, the the safe, the, the self-hatred? Yeah, the body and blood has something for that. Look at Hebrews 9. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Purify our conscience from the dead ways we try to gain a right view of ourselves, a right view of life, a right view of God. The body and blood can fix that and purify our conscience, defeat that enemy. You see, if I can come to this moment and rightly remember And carry that memory through, well, every day, every week. Guess what? I can be purified from that enemy. Or how about the the enemy of our record? We have a record. That record chases us. That, That record is an enemy to our lives. Now, you might think, well, isn't my record and my conscience, don't those go kind of hand in hand? Not Not really. Because our conscience is broke. And, and so you and I have a conscience that sometimes can feel incredible guilt over things we don't need to feel guilty about. And we have an incredibility to feel no guilt at all over some things we should feel very guilty about. 
And so our conscience kind of rides this wave of our emotions. But there's nothing emotional about our record. It's a very objective thing. There is a record of debt against you, of your trespasses, your transgressions against the holiness of God. That is a real record that you should be real worried about without the body and blood of Christ. But with it, look at this, Colossians 2, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set it aside. What did he do with it? Nailed it to the cross. One more time. Nailed it to the cross. My record, which I should be concerned about, has been nailed to the cross. Every transgression, every trespass, everything against the holiness and righteousness of God has been nailed to the cross. How, how, about, the, how about the enemy of my ongoing failure? Because you see, I really do believe I've, my debt's been cleansed and my conscience has been cleansed. I really am grateful for Jesus. I, I love Jesus and, and I want to obey him and I want to live right. But I fail. Like again and again. Sometimes it's just that I come back to sin, and, and sometimes it's very specific sins. I confess so many times I don't believe I'm really sorry. I can't, I can't confess this every day and get God to believe I'm actually sorry for it. I don't even know how can I even believe I'm sorry for it. And boy, that kind of failure, that's an enemy. Really weighs us down. But look what the body and blood of Christ has for us, where sin increased... That's what, that's what can happen in our lives where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. We know that word grace means unmerited favor. It's a free gift. Free to you and me. It costs Jesus what we're about to remember, his body and his blood. His body and blood means God has all of the grace that your sin needs. Amen? How about the enemy of an uncontrollable future, of an uncertain future. Yeah, God, God's got something for our future. Man, there's things out there we can't control. There's, imagine there's already right now some of us a little anxious about what the holiday season holds, what this is going to mean. Maybe you already know some things out there in 2022. It's got you a little anxious, a little worried. And boy, there's nothing like worry and anxiety about tomorrow that steals the joy of being able to live today, right? That is an enemy of life. And look what God has for us. Yes, there are some things that we can be very certain about. Uncertainties out there? Yes, there are. But look at the certainties we have in our future. Romans 8.1, both of these passages, beginning and then ending Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. I don't know what all tomorrow holds or next year holds. I know this, nothing out there can condemn me. Nothing out there can ruin anything between me and God. There is no condemnation. Now notice who that's for. All people? No, no, for those who are, let's say that again, those who are in Christ. That's, those are two very profound words. There is an opportunity for no condemnation in your life, and that opportunity is in Christ. 
And in Christ we are more than conquerors though through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth. And if I haven't mentioned it yet, let me just scoop up everything else with this phrase. Nor nothing in all of creation. That just about sums it up. There is absolutely nothing out there that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And where is that love? In Jesus. It's in him. I can have all the love of God and no fear of anything happening in my future that will separate me from that. But that love is found in Jesus. Boy, all these enemies to our lives, just being knocked down by the body and blood of Christ, by me depending on me, remembering me, focusing on what the body and blood of Christ means in my life. You know that whole, that whole thing right there? You know what all that is? That's the language of covenant. Covenant's not a word we use a whole bunch in our culture, not a lot in our language. It was a very big word in the Bible. It is that binding relationship. Covenant is God making a relationship with us that you can't mess up. You can't ruin it. You can't lose it. That's pretty profound, isn't it? It is profound. And it's not caused by a feeling that God has. It's caused by the body and blood of Christ that seals that covenant. When we take that cup, he says this is the new covenant that you can't ruin. Hey, those are real enemies out there. But as real as those enemies are, I know we do still have the Judas. And so you're wondering, hey, wait a minute, that, that's fine and what's all going on inside me. But, but what about that actual person sitting on the other side of the table or at work or down the road? What about the real enemy? Yes, the body and blood has something for us there too. I want to show you a verse and you won't see the word body or blood or forgiveness or covenant. You won't see any of those words. You won't see any of the words of the Lord's Supper in this verse. But it's all based on the body and blood. Look at this, Romans chapter 12. Beloved, that's you. Hey, I love you. What I'm getting ready to say comes out of my love for you. Please understand, it's not a rule. If you want to be my friend, you got to do this. No, I'm telling you this out of love. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Boy, that word never really, I mean, weren't we told never to say never? Well, I don't know that we can, but God can say it. Never avenge yourselves. And we all believe that. We never should avenge ourselves, except me. Except me in this situation. It's amazing how clear God is, and it's amazing how dumb we are to assume that my situation and my enemy, not all my enemies, but this one, yes. This one, yes. I can, I can do something different here. Because they are so, so very wrong, and I am so, so very right. So God's word doesn't apply to me there. Hey, folks, if you're as right as God, and that enemy is as wrong as Satan, you still fit under the word never. Never Avenge yourselves. Why? Because vengeance doesn't belong to you. It's not yours to use. God is very clear. Vengeance is mine. 
When you're using vengeance, when you're getting even through slander, through gossip, through building up a group to go against, through getting even, through making sure they get theirs, when you do that, it's like you broke into God's house, rummaged through his stuff, found vengeance, and then ran. You stole from God. It's not yours to use. It's mine. You cannot have it. Well, why? Because you'll mess it up 100% of the time. You are not the bringer of justice. You are not the bringer of God's justice. Don't touch my vengeance. Your rightness and their wrongness, nothing to do with it. Leave my vengeance alone. I promise you, I will take care of it. What am I supposed to do? Feed them. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Feed them. What does that have to do with anything? Jesus did it. He fed his enemy. Wasn't about hunger. Wasn't about nutrition. It's not that it is Judas' last meal. I want to make sure it's a good one. Jesus extended a meal unlike any meal you and I have ever extended. He extended a meal filled with his love and forgiveness, his kindness, his mercy. He extended an example for you and I to follow. Do not get revenge. I don't care how right you are. I don't care how wrong they are. It is not your tool. Just go feed them. Why would I do that? Because Jesus' body was broken and his blood was spilled to rescue you from being an enemy of God. So we think about all our enemies, we never think about the enemy we are. I'll be honest with you, that's one of the toughest ideas of scripture i i have romans 5 10 says i'm an enemy of god outside of christ praise god for the opportunity to be in christ right but outside of christ i'm an enemy of god listen i i i know i'm a sinner and i can confess that sin i can acknowledge that sin i know i've done wrong i know that trespasses against the holiness of god i get all that and i i can confess all that but the idea that i'm an enemy of god that's just difficult one to believe I know what an enemy is. I've never done that to God. I've never been like that before God. I've never hated and railed against God. I've never tried to take anything from, well, I mean, other than vengeance, but that's a different story. It's hard to think of myself as an enemy of God. But you know, it's irrelevant what it's hard for me to think about. God said, you are my enemy. Because every word out of your mouth, every action in your life, every character quality inside you attacks my holiness. You fight my kingdom rule in this world outside of Christ. And I loved you. And I sent my son. And through his broken body and his spilled blood is an opportunity for you to be rescued from being an enemy. And that should be so profound in our lives that it shapes how we look at enemies for the rest of our lives.
never the same again. I'll just feed them. You know, isn't it interesting that in a moment that, again, we tend to think of as a kind of a religious ritual, there's a ceremony here. A lot of the world would look at this moment. You know, it's, just, it's what believers have to do. You kind of jump through these hoops and do these little rituals and things you do. God's not giving us a ritual today, folks. He's not giving us a hoop we need to jump through. He's giving us an opportunity to remember how much he loves us, what he's done in our lives. He's giving us an opportunity to think that it really is to be very practical and very relevant. Our, our entire memory today should show up all this week. It should show up with everybody we relate with, even our enemies. And I would suggest that if you're not handling your enemies well, you remember today, I was an enemy of God. I'm sure grateful God did not treat me like I tend to want to handle my enemies. Let's pray. Father, in this high holy moment of ceremony and ritual, I thank you for how practical and relevant this is to where we are, to where we live day in and day out. I thank you for the body and the blood of Christ and all that it means to my life, the covenant, the covenant that you brought me into with you that I can't mess up. Thank you for the reminder that that covenant should impact every relationship. There's not a relationship in my life that that covenant doesn't have bearing on. Oh, may we remember well and handle well those enemies. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you go ahead now and grab the elements here, and even though we just had a word of prayer, I want to allow you another moment of just quietness. Uh, while this was not the focus of our message today, there's a number of passages about the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11 being one of those that, that strongly warns us not to come into this moment ill-prepared. Not to come into this moment not having really taken care of business. There is a way to rightly remember and rightly celebrate. So I want to give you just a second, and I always use that word second because it is literally going to be just a few seconds. And I'll tell you right now, and I'm sure you're a wonderful person, but I can't give you enough seconds. You need more than the few you're going to get here. My prayer for myself, for all of us, is that the few seconds we're going to take here right now will kind of motivate some more seconds later this afternoon, tonight when we go to bed, tomorrow morning when we get up. And these seconds just kind of start, hey, Lord, is there something I need to correct? Is there some business I'm not taking care of with you? Lord, would you guide me now? And what a blessing, folks, for God to be able to guide us and point those things out and do it in his grace and kindness. It's not in judgment and hate that he says, hey, I want this over here dealt with. It's, it's in love, right?
So you take a few moments and ask the Lord what you need to give thanks for, what you need to confess, what you need to trust him with. You do business with the Lord. Lord, thank you for hearing our confessions and our prayers. Hearing them in your love and in your kindness. Oh, may that motivate us afresh to new and righteous living. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you take your uh, elements here and the, so that the wafer is on top, go ahead and peel that back and pull that out. We call this the Lord's Supper. I always kind of laugh when we pick up the wafer. Um, This isn't going to cover you for the day. And I'll be honest with you, I'm saying that. I don't know about y'all. I haven't been hungry since about last Tuesday. I'm just putting food on top of food at this point. But not even this is going to carry us through the day. Because we're not eating this for nutrition. We're not eating this to get full. We're eating this to remember. God gives us something here, I can, I can touch it, I can smell it, I can taste it, I can kind of bring to life all the senses of remembering that his body was crushed, so mine would not have to be. He was crushed for my sins. Jesus said, would you remember that? Take and eat. Flip that over to the juice side and peel that back. Be careful. Don't want to spill it all over yourself. There's no condemnation in Christ. Nothing in all the universe that can take me away from God's love. And it's God's blood. That sealed that deal. Jesus said, would you remember that? Take and drink. Let's pray. Father, in this moment of memory, we come before you to thank you. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for your obedience unto the Father and that it was your pleasure to fulfill his will. It was your pleasure to save us. Thank you, Jesus, for the the broken body and the spilled blood. And I pray that my memory, our memory of that today will show up in how I live all this week, the balance of this year, heading into a new year. May there be no greater motivator in my life than your body and blood, Jesus Christ. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.